Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. If you, uh, if you grew up in church like I did, you may know that there's this saying that's been said in Eastern cultures around the world for centuries and centuries, and many Christians will be saying it right this minute all around the world. And, and so it's easy to learn if you didn't learn it growing up. He is risen. He is risen. <laughs> Wonderful. And you may be seated. <laughs> My name is Mike. I am lead pastor here at Lake Forest, and it's a privilege and honor to share Easter worship with you today. Uh, but I, I want to start and just name something, because there's a bunch of you I don't, I don't know, you don't know me, uh, uh, I don't know you yet. But for a lot of people in our world today, uh, let's just acknowledge that this idea that, that we've been shouting and singing and affirming that Jesus rose from the grave seems a bit far-fetched to many people. And some of you in this room or, or, or worshiping with us online may be thinking, okay, really? Really? You, you want me to believe risen from the dead? Like I'm okay with Christianity and this deal of, of love and hope and being nice to people. But let's be honest, when you die, you're dead. Game over, put the toys back in the toy chest. Like it, it's like just like we all learned from the Lion King, circle of life, right? An animal eats a plant, it dies and becomes fertilizer for a new plant. That plant feeds a rhino, it dies, fertilizes another plant. And someday we'll all just be rhino food or rhino poo. When you die, you're dead, that's it. Well, that thought of yours actually fits in the Easter event because that's exactly what people in Jesus' day expected too. It's exactly what his followers expected as well. It's why Mary didn't even recognize him when we read her part of the story this morning. She's like, when you die, you're, you're dead. No one expected an empty tomb. And on Friday, when the eyewitnesses saw the spear thrust into his side and blood and water come out, they knew it was over. They knew this was the end. He was dead. This year, uh, in preparation, rereading the Easter story, I, I centered in on John chapters 20 and 21. Uh, and, and interestingly, I, I found myself interested in a detail I'd never really paid attention to before, and it's a detail about Jesus' clothing. And being the, the, the eminent Bible scholar that I am, Dr. Professor Moses, I said, hey, Google, tell me everything there is to know about Jesus' clothing. It's a great Bible study method. I, I, I recommend it highly. And this cool thing popped up, and I got it. And, and, and I couldn't help, but I had to share it with my friends today. It's this set of refrigerator magnets, and it's called What Would Jesus Wear? <laughs> and the subtitle is Jesus of Nazareth Mix and Match Magnetic Wardrobe. And this thing is super cool because you get to dress Jesus up in whatever clothes you want. So, uh, uh, so I brought it with me here. There he is. And you could decide, you, it could be the day, and you're like, man, today, I think it's like hippie Jesus day. And peace and love, I'm not down with the institutional church. Or 
It could be like it's, it's almost May, and so uh, you could decide, uh, I'm doing, uh, you could use this little hat and bandana and be like, it's Cinco de Mayo, Jesus. <laughs> Yo quiero Jesus, right? Uh, but my favorite one, my favorite, is like the 1990s Run DMC hip-hop Jesus. Man, he's got the track suit. It's shiny. That's the way it's supposed to be today. And because it's the 90s and hip-hop Jesus, he's got a big old boom box. He's like thumping, thumping. And, and then there, there are these other little like accoutrements things. And like you've got sunglasses for Jesus. That fits the, the rapper Jesus. And, uh, and if he's going to be a, a rapper, you've got to have a, a rapper bling necklace. So this is a diamond necklace. And it has the, the, the letters WWID, what would I do? <laughs> I love this so much. It will be on my refrigerator until the day I die. And honey, I just said that in front of all these people, so I have to follow through. Um, okay, I'm actually not 100% joking with all of this. Um, and it might not have been a right to do that in church. I don't know. But... As I read, what, what I'm serious about is I, as I read through John's eyewitness account of discovering the resurrection, I noticed a striking emphasis on what Jesus was wearing. And of all the clothes that we know Jesus actually wore from the eyewitnesses, the most revealing, intriguing, maybe the most significant are the grave clothes. And that's what I want to look at in the scriptures with you for a few minutes today on Easter Sunday. Now, the Gospel of John tells us that uh, after the crucifixion, two secret disciples of Jesus, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, made arrangements to care for his body. And Jewish burial customs were a big deal. It, the, preparing a body for burial was, was a part of the grieving. It was not impersonal, impersonal the way we do it today. It was a way of, of grieving and honoring that person. Uh, and so they would take the body and cover it in myrrh and aloes to counteract the, the smell and decay that was already setting in. Uh, in fact, John chapter 20, verse 39, tells us these two disciples used about 75 pounds of ointments to cover Jesus. Verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And then also, in accordance with custom, they would use a single separate cloth that would wrap the head in its entirety. And they did all of this on Friday after his body was removed from the cross and laid it in a cave-like tomb. And on Sunday morning, one of the female disciples, the first witness to the resurrection, the first apostle, really, Mary, came to the tomb and discovered Jesus' body was not there. And she runs back to tell the rest of the disciples, and that's where John's account picks up. John 21, verse 1. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, he's, he's referring to himself, started for the, for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. So you're not distracted. 
Isn't that interesting? John, this is like a really short account of them coming up on the empty tomb. This is the resurrection account. And in this short passage, he gives an inordinate attention to this detail of the clothes. John is not only writing of his experiences, but the gospel of John is a literary masterpiece acknowledged by, uh, by experts and scholars. And so there's no detail insignificant in this gospel. And in this short passage, he mentions the grave clothes no less than three times, and as well as the separate headcloth. What is it John wants us to notice here? Well, with our time remaining, I want to highlight three things that I think Jesus' grave clothes represent about the significance of the empty tomb. The first is this. The grave clothes are a whisper. The story is not over yet. There's more. You know, Jesus didn't have to leave the grave clothes behind. He could have taken them with him. With him, He could have discarded them. He could have genie blinked them into that giant black hole we got to see a picture of two weeks ago. That was amazing. Yeah, he's Jesus. He could have done anything. But he chooses to leave them behind, as one friend of mine says, almost in a playful way, knowing that John will find them. And it's like you can hear him whispering to John, Psst, the story's not over. There's more. There's better. And we see, actually, I think a hint of this in further details in the text. Remember, John was the first one to reach the tomb. He outran Peter. But when he gets there, he didn't go in. He hesitates. Verse 5, John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Why the hesitation? Well, I think because for John, the death of Jesus was not just historical. It was deeply, deeply personal, and he's still feeling it. Remember, John was incredibly close to Jesus. He's been called by scholars his closest earthly friend. And in fact, to demonstrate this, in the last few moments of Jesus' life, as he was hanging on the cross, Jesus gave John the most personal of assignments. He looked down from the cross at John and said, John, when I'm gone, I need you to take care of my mother for me. Can you imagine what a close assignment? And so when Jesus died, he didn't just lose a, a rabbi or a teacher or a preacher he followed or a professor. He also lost his best friend. And so John arrives here on Sunday morning with a crushed heart. John had hoped in Jesus and then grieved when Jesus died. All of the hopes and dreams that came from the Jesus movement were dashed in Jesus' heart. And he was personally grieving. And when you've hoped, you know this, when you've hoped and then you experience the loss of that hope, finding courage to hope again is next to impossible, isn't it? You know what that's like. And I think that's where John is in this moment. Afraid to hope again. Like, really? Do I dare to hope? This, there's more to the story. But then he peeks in the tomb and he looks. And it's as if John can hear Jesus gentle whispering to him through these grave clothes. John, I know you think the story's over. I know you think hope has died. But the story's not yet over. Your story, John, is not yet over. John, my work in you is not yet done. Because the grave closed that morning. Remind us that when it seems like death has won, God is not yet done. And many of us today know exactly 
what John felt like in that hesitating moment there at the tomb. As Pitbull and Neo sang a couple of years ago, everybody going through something. You may be going through something right now, might be big or small. You have been, you and I will be going through something. Where in your life have you hoped and lost? And you can identify with John when he shows up at the tomb that Easter morning. Maybe you've grieved over the loss of a career dream. You've grieved the loss of a, a relational dream. Uh, just this year, I witnessed uh, faithful ministry partners here at Lake Forest Church deal with, for instance, the loss of hope for health dashed by a breast cancer diagnosis. I've witnessed a, a dear friend where their hope for growing old together be lost with an unlooked for divorce. What if this Easter, God is whispering to you and me, the closing of that chapter doesn't mean the end of your story. It means a new chapter is ready to begin. Walk it with me, and because of my resurrection, it's not over yet. Uh, by the way, the prayer card you were handed on your way in, I would love for you to be sure you take a moment. It'll be taken up later. Be sure you take a moment and share whatever hope you want us to pray alongside of you out of this Easter. Please write it. Believing in the whisper of Jesus' resurrection gives hope. I'd like to talk directly, if I can, another moment to any skeptics here in the room. I wonder, have you given up hoping and desiring for there to be more to this life? Have you given up hoping that there's a better story than just what we can see and touch? Hoping that could it actually be true, this whisper, that love is behind everything? I hope you haven't given up that hope. Because that desire you once had, perhaps still do, that's a whisper. You see, how you feel about the world at times that, that things are, are not right implies perhaps there was or will be a better world you're longing for a better world. The fact that you kind of feel there's a brokenness, the world isn't how it's supposed to be, and you wish it were better, that's a whisper God put in your spirit that perhaps there is another world. Maybe that better world did exist or it will. It kind of, it's like hunger and thirst, that, that desire in our body, that, that's a, a hint that there's food and drink that our body needs and wants to satisfy that desire. And the satisfaction of the desire of hunger and thirst exists in food and water. In the same way, our longing for a better world is spiritual evidence that better is going to or did exist or does so alongside. And what the Christian believes is not only that a better world existed, but the very reason Jesus came to earth was to make a better world for the future. Or as my boy Austin would have said it when he was three years old, a gooder world. And Jesus hinted, whispered throughout his public ministry that somehow his death would be central to a better world to come. He said it frequently a world called the new heavens and the new earth. And so this first thing the grave clothes teach us is that the story is not yet done. It's a whisper. Do you hear it this morning? But the second thing, the grave clothes, are evidence 
of the reality, the historicity of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Again, for those of you sitting here, uh, a, a bit of a skeptic this morning, someone who thinks, you know, I, I don't really buy the whole resurrection thing. I actually get that. And here at Lake Forest Church, we believe God has given us our minds to use them, and he calls us to be thinking people and thinking Christians, not only emotional people stirred up by a good pep rally. We want to be thinking Christians here. And, and so I get the thoughts and the questions because of the doubts of my past because of the big questions I have in my current life. And so every, for that reason, every Easter, I like to remind myself of the substantial historical evidence for the resurrection. From the hundreds of eyewitnesses to the explosive growth of Christianity to the simple fact that Jesus' disciples, all of them, would be killed because they not only said they believed Jesus' resurrection, but they were eyewitnesses to it. The evidences are quite compelling, and the grave clothes are part of that evidence. The, the grave clothes are evidence of who is not in the tomb. And Jesus had been saying all along that death will not have the last word for him. And in fact, from the earliest written gospel, Mark, here's one of numerous such eyewitness recorded sayings by Jesus. Mark 9, verse 30. Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, that was a designation for himself, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Like there, he said it plainly, but look at this. But they, the disciples did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Why? Because they were just like you and me today. Dead is dead, man. So I don't know what you're, you, you mean, Jesus. And that's what John is pondering as he sees these grave clothes. And Jesus left the grave clothes as evidence he had done exactly what he said he would do. And John is now astonished. And the early church tells us it wasn't just that, that Jesus escaped death by, by, the, uh, by the skin on his teeth. He, Jesus took death itself and made it submit to him. Like when you were a kid and your big brother would put you in a half Nelson and squeeze you until you cried uncle. Jesus made death cry, uncle. And because of that, we can have confidence, hope in an ultimate sense, even in the midst of a fallen and imperfect world. An early Christian leader named Paul said, therefore we live differently and we die differently with dignity, hope, and confidence, not despair. There were some skeptics who said in that day, and some who say today, well, maybe Jesus was just somehow asleep. But the eyewitness detail of blood and water flowing out of his side when his dead body was poked with a spear, that's medical evidence that Jesus fully died from torture on the cross. And in fact, the authorities in that day knew that Jesus was verifiably dead. So they did not spread the theory that maybe he had just been sleep, uh, fell asleep. No, the authorities of the day tried to explain this away by claiming his followers stole his body. Well, let's just focus on the evidence of the grave clothes for a moment. And in a sentence, look at this sentence that drips with eyewitness authenticity. John 20, verse 6 through 8. John saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. John saw them, the linens, and believed. 
Check this out. The grave clothes and the empty tomb coupled with now understanding what Jesus meant when he had predicted this back uh, the last few years, they were enough evidence for that first eyewitness, John, to believe Jesus is risen. Now, there's no way if they did steal his dead body, they would have stopped to unroll the linen strips from the stinky, decaying corpse. Nor would grave robbers have taken the time to neatly fold the linen and place it neatly on the little niche in the cave for the body. Unless the grave robber's day job was by some chance a concierge or a maid and they couldn't help it. But they definitely would not have just like stopped, wouldn't have unwrapped it, wouldn't have folded it. Had robbers stolen the body, they would have taken it in its wrappings. Had they left the wrappings, they would have been in disarray. But there they were neatly folded. And the face cloth was separate from the linen. And, and the, the, the specific word there is the face cloth was not folded up but rolled up, which could be an indication of neatness and care or that it was still rolled the way it had been ro- rolled around Jesus' head when he was buried and that his body had therefore risen straight out of the burial cloth. Uh, the last of the primary Uh, alternate explanations by skeptics was that Jesus had only swooned and then he recovered once he was in the coolness of the cave. And it can't in any way explain how he could have as a mummy, first of all, not suffocated. The the ointments would have been totally encased all of this uh, grave cloth. It doesn't explain how he could have unwound himself from being mummified, the, the, the inches thick of linen strips around him or how he could have escaped a sealed tomb. So in my view, the grave robber or body stealing or Jesus was in a swoon, hypotheses hold no weight. And so N.T. Wright, the, the world's leading New Testament scholar today, says this, the most rational explanation for the sudden and explosive rise of Christianity in the ancient world is that its founder and leader really did rise from the dead. There were many other would-be messiahs whose names we don't remember. But the fact that 2,000 years later, we are still talking about this man, Jesus, is the most convincing evidence for the plausibility of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. So what do we do now? We do what John did. He he stooped in, didn't go in, saw the linen strips, and believed That's exactly what we do. And that's all we have to do to have this assurance of joining his resurrection after our own death. And if you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. How we do, how do we believe or put our trust in him? Uh, Another eyewitness tells us exactly how to in Romans 10 verse nine. In fact, let's uh, read this aloud together, please. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why did Jesus leave the grave clothes in the tomb? As a whisper, there's more. And as evidence, Jesus wants you to have confidence in his resurrection so that you live as a person of confidence and trust in Jesus. And in fact, before we leave, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do just that if you never have before to put your confidence and trust to believe that God has raised him from the dead. So be thinking about that. So the grave clothes are a whisper. There's more to come. There's better 
The grave clothes are evidence of the veracity of the resurrection. And thirdly and finally, the grave clothes are an invitation to follow Jesus. What's the biggest, best invitation you've ever received? If this was a normal Lake Forest Sunday morning, I would stop and have you talk amongst yourselves for a minute and like tell some fun stories. What's your favorite invitation you've ever received? Uh, was, was it, you got the job offer? You're like, woohoo, let's get out the expensive stuff, baby. Uh, were, were, did you, were you invited to enroll at your, at your dream college? Was it all the way back to fourth grade and you were picked by the cool kid on the kickball team on the field and you still remember it today? Well, I, as I thought about this question, I realized the most important invitation I've ever been part of was the day I invited Angie Insinius to be my wife to have and to hold. And thankfully, she's still having and holding this glorious 50-ish dad bod of a man. (laughs) Now, if you're close to my age, back when when I proposed, it it was like, uh, hey, you want to get married? Sure, here's a ring. Uh, Today, the invitation to marry somebody in today's generation, it's a big, fat, hairy, Instagram, worldwide, live stream production, man. Uh, and in fact, everybody who is married over the age of 40 should probably go back and repropose according to today's <laughs> with high production values. Uh, my adult son, Austin, just invited his girlfriend to marry him back in December. Uh, Austin happens to be a professional videographer, uh, so he captured it. And, and he actually gave me permission to show you the Austin Moses invitation to marriage. Here it is. Well, look at this. I can't believe I... <gasps> Madison Marie, will you marry me? Oh, babe. Wait, you hired a photographer, right? Yeah, yeah, he's right, yeah. I am so sorry. Do you mind, um, do you mind actually coming a little bit closer? I just, I don't know if it's going to share that well, if it's, like, what? so far back. Madison Marie. Cut. Sorry, I don't like my middle name. Uh, can I take a look at that? I just want to see if it's... I wanted this to be a surprise, but at least you could have given me a hint. Madison Marie. I'm already wearing it. Oh, all right, take it. Okay. Give me the ring back and then we'll start from the top. Okay, okay. This could be bigger, right? Can you Photoshop that? Say it a little bit more like you believe in it. Like, do it. How would I say it? Marrying you would be hashtag relationship goal. Who says that? You will. (sighs) Rolling. Madison's engagement, take 43. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Look at all these likes. <laughs> that, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> okay, that was not my son, Austin. Uh, but he really did get engaged this December, and she said yes. Uh, back to our biblical text. Jesus' grave clothes are a kind of a proposal, an invitation to something more. Why did John believe? He could hear the whisper of Jesus touching his wounded, grieving heart and giving him hope again. And he knew with his mind this is the most plausible explanation, including because he had spoken about it throughout his ministry. Jesus had said, I will die, but death will not have the last word. And my death will be part of making all things new one day when I return in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, The original Greek word, it says, John saw and believed. The original Greek word translated believe there has a a, a more of a meaning, a stronger meaning than our English word, which implies passive mental assent. 
It, this word believe is, is a belief that trusts with your mind and heart and translates to action. So this third thing the grave clothes represent is Jesus' invitation to not just believe, but to follow him in his way of life, to love others, to welcome others, to journey with others, just like Jesus did, to be part of Jesus' work in this world, serving others, healing others, being a part of healing injustice and oppression in society in his resurrection power. And that's what John did after seeing the linen strips and believing. John became the man who would go on to become the grandfather of church planting and pastoring. He would write his memoirs at the end of his life, which we know is the Gospel of John. He also wrote the New Testament letters of John. And his letters boil down to this, if you've ever read them. His letters to his, the people in his church, he just says it over and over. Everything about Jesus is love. Come follow him into a life where you receive his love constantly and know you are cherished and you reflect it back to him in the world and a life of worship. Follow him. This moment became the defining moment for the rest of John's life and it can be the defining moment of your life. Actually, not just a moment, but a whole life to follow Jesus in life and death and resurrection. And Jesus said just a day or two later to another disciple, the same thing he had said the first time he met John, John 21, 19. Then Jesus said to him, follow me after the resurrection. There are 58 instances in the gospels of either Jesus saying, follow me, or it says, and people followed Jesus. And the invitation to believe and follow like John did is an invitation to trust Jesus with your whole heart and life, to acknowledge your need for his grace and forgiveness of your sin, to actually accept that forgiveness of sin by asking and be adopted into God's forever family, and, and to be flooded by this amazing love and live in it, abide in it, and follow him as the leader of your life on his mission of love to the world, the way John did for the rest of your life. So the reason for the whisper. The reason for the evidence is the invitation God is giving to you and me this Easter to believe and follow. And there are only two responses. Well, there are two responses. Many of us here, you're a Christian, and you've taken the first step before to believe. If you're a Christian, I'm asking you to reaffirm this Easter your commitment to actively follow Jesus in this next year. Has the direction of your life been fundamentally aligned like John's was around following Jesus? It doesn't matter what the last year looked like for you spiritually. Will you commit today, Jesus, I will follow you. I want you to be the leader of my life in 2019. Others of you, as I indicated earlier, if you have never made that commitment, I'm gonna invite you to take the first step right now and just pray that prayer from Romans that I read earlier. I'll read it once more. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, whisper, whisper, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I now pray to you on behalf of my dear friends here this morning. And so Jesus, I pray with them and for them, I tell you right now, I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead. 
that you are the son of God and that death was arrested and my death was arrested. And Jesus, I ask you for forgiveness of my sin and I believe that my eternal life is now held in your hands. Therefore, I will live with hope and confidence on your mission of love. I now know how my story ends. Thank you for the whisper, Jesus. It's a good ending. I will follow you. And Jesus, thank you that the same way Easter for you was not about yourself. You did this for others even when we didn't deserve it. I want my Easter type of life to be not for self but for others. And so right now, I pray for my friends who are facing difficult situations. Their circumstances and pain sometimes seem overwhelming. I pray for them today that you would help me know how I can be a force of good and hope in their lives? How can I be a whisper in their life that there's more to their story? How can I be an evidence that you change lives because you're changing me? And Jesus, may my care for my friends be an invitation for them to trust and follow you as well. May this be to your glory, God, uh, my joy and others' good. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.